0: Perspective, experience, and a sense of humor. If you don't get it, listen closer. Gil Whiteley says things you need to think about. If you're wondering if he just said that, he did. Whiteley so.
1: Mile high Sports. Hello, welcome back. Gil Whiteley, Doug Ottawa, will sits in with me on Monday and joining us. Uh, uh, friend and coach, head coach, Mike Shanahan, uh, and a tour. one of the best steakhouses in the country, Uh Mr. Shanahan, how are you doing, Mike?
2: Good, Gil. How about yourself? Hello, Doug. How are you, Mike? Yeah. Thank you.
1: This is, uh, uh, we just got off uh, with, we had John Elway on prior to you, and, and uh, also old friend Woody Page earlier in the show. So uh, as, we're, as we're making our way through, we're talking about third Super Bowl thirty-two, and the thought process that, uh, that you were going through uh, when, in fact, uh, you called that play and put Mike and put uh, Terrell Davis in. I, how much did you know about how bad his situation was? Huh? We, in the press box, we were just told he had a headache, which is why he was sitting out. Because uh, I was there covering that game at that time. Did you have a lot of information? Did they say, "Oh, he's fine to play"? I know we've seen the replays on that that they've shown on on the NFL films. Uh, where were you, and what was your thought process when you went ahead and did that?
2: Well, at that time, we were going from the first quarter to the second quarter, so we were switching into the field. And as uh, Terrell Davis was coming by me, going on toward the other end, he says, Mike, I can't see. I said, what do you, what do you mean? <laughs> I, can't, I can't see. And I said, well, you think you might be able to go in for one play because we're going to run a bootleg. You want to fake over to the left, and if you're not in the game, I don't think they believe we'll run. Maybe they may think it's a and pass or do something a little bit different. So you know, he's a trooper. He's a he's a tough guy. He he could not see him. Obviously, John got him going the right direction, and there was nobody even close.
1: Yeah, uh, it, when when it went to that, and then uh, uh, also we just talked to John about the the uh, helicopter. And you had guaranteed him you were going to get a certain defense, and he didn't get it
2: <laughs> Well really, the play was that was, you know, John's 100 percent right. he hated the play, And I really didn't like the play, but the more I thought about it tonight before the game, we were only going to run it inside the five-yard line, or really inside the three-yard line, because we were 100 percent press on the outside where we were going to throw the fade. But this was third and six, and this was on the 12-yard line. So we had, uh, we turned the ball over earlier in the red zone, and I wanted to put John in a position where if you didn't get the right, if we didn't have the right pass play, and they had such great pass rush, I thought we were going to put ourselves in a tough situation. So I thought on this play they would play off, and the only thing about it is our center wasn't going to go downfield. That meant they were in pass protection. And John was so great about taking the quick three step or five step drop out of the shotgun and making a play on his own because you know how many plays he could make with his legs. So when that play came, I said, hey, this is going to wind up being a quarterback draw, but better than it would normally be as a quarterback draw because we're not going to let the defense know because the center is going to stay in protection. You know, John was so damn tough. He didn't need a center going down to block the linebacker because he went back and the linebacker dropped deep, and John made a hell of a play. That's six-yard or four-yard play you ever saw.
1: Maybe the toughest loss that I've ever been to, uh, you know, I, 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 that, that was the one against Jacksonville. Uh, and you actually won that game. If Michael Dean Perry gets off of the field, that game is over and you are going to another Super Bowl. Uh, or you're going on in the playoffs and potentially uh, a, a, a Super Bowl. What, what did you say to Michael Dean Perry?
2: Actually, I really didn't say anything to him after the game was over, you know, and, you know. If you either get it done or you don't. And then I thought about why we didn't get it done. And I was really mad at myself. I said, you know what, this is Michael Dean Perry. He would do it all the time. I said, why didn't I make him run off in practice? Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, I, you know, I put the blame on me, not him. And I don't know if you remember that, uh, that season, but the next season we were going through, I called Michael Dean in the office and Michael Dean. I said, unless, unless we get more effort out of you, I said, I'm going to have to release you. I said, I promise you, we need more effort out of you. And he said, you know, Mike, I just made the Pro Bowl. I, I promise you I'm going to play hard. And he did. And we, you know, we uh, actually covered before that Kansas City game. And that was a really tough decision. And Pat Bowlin allowed me to do it. And obviously, after, the game, the rest, uh, after that, we never lost a game.
0: Well, you you, you take the flip side and you look at the last few years and a bunch of guys that you coached got into the Hall of Fame, a bunch of guys tied to the Broncos. What's that mean in retrospect when you look back and say, hey, these guys Steve Atwater, John Lynch, guys like that that got into the Hall of Fame on your watch. how, How fun was that?
2: Well, you mentioned those guys, you know, the John Lynch's, the Steve Atwater's, you know, John Elway's, such class guys, you know, guys that you say, okay, you know, John was my best friend. I mean, he was right from the start to the finish, and we spent so much time together. And a guy like John Lynch comes in, and you get to know him. And Even though I was only with him for four years, I go, this is one of the classiest human beings I've ever been around. And Steve Atwater was the same way. And that's how you win Super Bowls, when you have guys not only with great athletic ability, but unbelievable character. And that's when you have a chance to do something special, when you have guys like that there are the
1: leaders of your football team. I think we'll be looking at, uh, at, at, a, at a potential run uh, at, for you going into the Super Bowl Hall of Fame. I know, I mean, excuse me, the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And I know people that are going to be nominated don't like talking about it, so I'm not going to ask you questions about it. I won't do that to you. <laughs> but <laughs> you ended up with 170 wins uh, and two Super Bowls, um, 13th overall on the, on the list and the, the list above, the list of guys above you, uh, are are uh, are as impressive as, as could possibly be. Even the list below you, there are three people tied at eighty-two wins. You know, I'm gonna. You won't know who they are, but unbelievably, Wade Phillips, Bum Phillips, and Gary Kubiak all had eighty-two wins. Did well, you know, the, the
2: unbelievable part of you know. Being a head football coach in the National Football League is your relationships. And when you see those guys get in the Hall of Fame or guys have success after players or coaches, that's what makes the world go round. The thing that I've missed the most by not coaching over the last you know, decade or whatever it's been is the relationships that you have with players and coaches that you really miss.
1: Did your injury in college after coming out of a – being a little option quarterback at East Lydon High School, Schiller Park. Uh, did your injury in high school help you make the transition to be a coach? A lot of people who had injuries young uh, and w- wanted to play the sport, you most likely weren't going to be a, a professional, a professional, uh, an NFL quarterback. But all of a sudden, that started that that jump started you being a student of the game, and you, in fact. Uh, becoming a coach and then a head coach.
2: I actually wanted to become a head coach when I was in college at any level, high school, college, whatever it may be. I never even thought about pro football, but i lost my kidney my redshirt junior year in spring game when I was at Eastern. And so the first year I was a student assistant and the next year I was a graduate assistant. And then from then on, I knew I wanted to coach college football. So that's when I jumped on or got on at Oklahoma and had to live in the dormitory for a couple of years. But got my foot in the door with Barry Switzer and we had a little success there. And a little success. Yeah. Then I was lucky enough to be with a bunch of great coaches and great players. I had I
1: had an afternoon with Barry Switzer at Maxfield. He was he came in at about one o'clock for uh, on the Sunday and he was going to be interviewed at seven o'clock on a TV show that we had going on in there. And I sat and talked to him. He was drinking Stoli with both hands, by the way. And, <laughs> and uh, uh, I learned a lot about him that day. I really ended up liking him a lot.
2: Oh, I really enjoyed him. I had a chance to drive him to the airport every time he went. That was my role. When I, you know, you're a young coach, and I got a chance to really know him. And he was nice enough one year that we were going to Minnesota, and he was uh, speaking to the NCAA convention, asked me if I wanted to come along with him. I said, sure, I'd love to. So he kind of, you know, introduced me to everybody there, and I was kind of a big deal. First time that you ever got a chance to go to a convention. And here I am hanging around Barry Switzer. It was pretty cool. He's a great guy.
1: You know, you came here. You went, you went, you went from Oklahoma to Florida. You were the quarterback's coach at Florida, receiver's coach and offensive coordinator.
2: I actually went from Oklahoma to northern Arizona, to Illinois, <laughs> to East Illinois, to Minnesota, then to Florida. And I was at Florida for four years. Uh, but I experienced some great coaches along the way. I, I Actually, when I was at Eastern, I had Daryl Mudra. I went into a program that didn't have a winning season in 17 years. And he went from an 0 10 1 record to winning the national championship. And as old, To me, it was strict leadership on how he ran the program, how he handled himself, how he handled. Um, the players and what a great learning experience as well.
1: When you came here, you came here from Florida and you, and you showed up off 158th Street at the, at the then Bronco facility. You had to look at that and say, wait a second, I just left Florida to come here because <laughs> those facilities were a little sparse but now the facilities are Taj Mahal-like.
2: No, you're right. The end at the March, well, what a facility that was right next door, wasn't it? Yeah. No, but it's funny, though, when you go to a place, and I mean, you know, when i told people that I got a job in the NFL, and I said, hey, I'm going to have a chance, to. You know, I think, Dan Reeves told me, if we're going to start you out with wide receivers, but if you prove you can handle it, I'd like for you to eventually coach a quarterback. So I was so excited when I had the opportunity to come here and, and then from that, that time on, we just our relationship got stronger and stronger. And, you know, at the end, um, you, all, all you do is bucket, what, care about is winning the championship and you're lucky, lucky enough to finally do it.
1: You know, the, uh, uh, you know work, working here and working, you, you, you ended up leaving here going to the Raiders. I don't know if you remember it, but the day you went to the airport, you, uh, uh, Mr. Boland, and Dan Reeves, and I had lunch at my restaurant <laughs> and you had a <laughs> two o'clock flight and Dan was taking you to the airport. And I just remember that, that, uh, that was such a, it was a, it was a strange kind of eerie tense, uh, you know, lunch that do you have any memory of, of, of that, of those goodbyes going to play in the Raiders and then uh, do you have regrets of going to the Raiders? Cause you were never, you were never really accepted there. You were always the outside guy, weren't you?
2: Yeah, I think I was. And, you know, I actually had a, an idea of what was going to happen. You never do until you take a job. Do you remember where that restaurant was before I get into that?
1: <laughs> yeah, 15th and Flat,
2: yeah. Oh, it Zane's, remember? Mac-
1: Maxfield, no.
2: Oh, are you sure? <laughs> yeah, I'm positive of that. Okay. <laughs> no, that was, that was an interesting experience for me because when I got there and I interviewed with Al, I thought I was just being interviewed because I was young. I didn't think there was any way I was going to get the job. And so we we never actually talked football. We never talked about the shotgun. We never talked about what we were going to do. And so when I actually did want to go from the shotgun or switch receivers, it was something that he had never done before, something the Raiders had never done. And so it was one of those relationships that was not going to last very long, and obviously it didn't.
1: You know, when – when uh, and you weren't there when this happened because uh, – I was good friends with Tony La Russa with the White Sox and uh, Jim Leland, Ron Schuler, that were the coaches at the White Sox. And anytime Jim Leland was, wasn't around, uh, uh, Tony La Russa would say, this guy's going to be a great head coach, one of these, great manager on the baseball field. When you weren't around, Dan Reese would go, well, Mike Shanahan's going to be a great head coach one day. And I just remember the comparisons there when that happened. Uh,
2: you know, pe- people had their eye on you early on. Well, thanks. I, I mean, you have to, first of all, get an opportunity. I think Dan Reeves for giving me that opportunity because to get in the National Football League at that time was very tough. When I did finally get my opportunity to go to uh, San Francisco, you know they had won four Super Bowls in nine years. When you win four Super Bowls in nine years, you're doing something right. So when I got there, I felt like the type of offense and defense they were running was going to give me really an opportunity to expand and get a chance to be around some, you know, an organization that I really had a chance to learn from. I think really, really helped me when I went back to Denver.
1: You had a bad, you had a bad situation in uh, in San Francisco because your starting quarterback and your back and in your backup quarterback, whatever happened to them? Were they any good?
2: <laughs> they weren't too bad. <laughs> <laughs> we're talking Joe cool. Montana and and Steve Young, folks. <laughs> You're talking about, you know. Two great guys to work with. And at that time, supposedly Joe and Steve were getting along. But I was with them, you know, with Joe and Steve in the same means throughout Joe's career there, and obviously with Steve Young. And they were true pros on how they handled themselves. And obviously the way they played speaks for itself.
1: You know, uh, uh, we lost them this year. We lost Dan Reeves. We lost uh, Jim Fossil, who was a very close friend of mine, did my show almost weekly for the last couple of eight, nine years. Uh and Greg Robinson we've lost uh this has just, just been a really tough year. Uh but I think it was the best of both worlds with with uh uh Jim Fossil coming here for 2 years and kind of kind of working with with uh uh John Elway uh with with what the, was initially Walsh's offense which you guys were running there and you came in here with a with a similar offense but had all the bells and whistles with it and John was ready to take that extra step that, 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 he, that, that he had started learning under Fossil, and then everything blossomed here.
2: No, in fact, that was unbelievable. the year they had that year. Um, John had his, uh, one of his best years that he had, and I think the big reason for that was, was Jim Fossil. He was a heck of a coach, a heck of a man. I never coached with him, but I watched everything that he did and what they did on offense, the defense wasn't playing that well, but offensively they were hitting stride. And so, you know, they just you – know, I think what was the end of that season? Was it 7-9? And all of a sudden it could have easily been 8-8. Eight, eight, but uh, Jim Fausil was uh, one heck of a coach.
1: Yeah. yeah uh, uh, a huge loss to, to everybody here.
0: Mike, you talk about those years, and when you came back um, – Talk a little bit about the conversations or the memories that you might have with Mr. Boland, because it seems like when you came back to Denver, not that Mr. Boland didn't want to win before, but boy, that era seemed like everybody was all in from the from the second you got here.
2: No, he, yeah, Pat and I were very close. I got here a month before Pat did, and one of the first meetings we had with Dan is he says, "Hey, before you bring your family down." we've got a new owner of the football team and I've got to check and make sure that I've got a job yet all you guys. So I watched like him to come down for about another month, month and a half. And Pat was, you know,
1: the owner. And
2: one thing I loved about Pat is that he had one goal and that was, he wanted to win a championship. He was going to do everything that he could possibly do to learn everything he could about football and give us the best opportunity to win. He didn't care what it took and, it's not like we had the most money in the NFL, but everything that he had he was going to give you, and he was a guy that uh, i become very, I became very close with, and uh, I considered him as well as one of my best friends and i don 't have a lot of guys i 'm really close to, but the people that I am close to uh, I really appreciate and he was one of those people what 's it like now walk
1: watching your son who you know we, we I first met when he was a ball boy at at practice and you know, in training camp and stuff, uh, watching him coach in this league, and then what kind of what kind of conversations do you have going into the season and in, in the middle of weeks? Do you, you talk football? Do you talk strategy? Any of that?
2: Well, yeah, we, we talk quite a bit. So uh, we're, we're always talking football, and sometimes it's X's and O's. Other times, it could be about personnel. But the one thing about Kyle when he decided he wanted to get into coaching one of the things he had asked me, he said, dad, what would you do? I said, same thing as I told you that I did do. Or people gave me the same advice. Bill Walsh is one of those guys who said, if you want to stay as a head coach in the national football league, you have to try to you know, study where you could coach every position on the team. And if you can do that, then you have a chance when you do have a coach that maybe might not be the top coach. You can be helping that type of guy. So, I thought I got some great advice from a lot of people along the way, and that really helps you out. And I think it helps Kyle out as well.
1: Yeah, uh, in my many conversations with Dan Reeves, uh, he said that was his big thing. uh, You know, talking with with uh, uh, Tom Landry is that he knew every position, every play, what everybody was supposed to do on both sides of the ball, always, Uh, and have that kind of command uh, on the field. And people notice that. Your players notice that you understand every single
2: aspect. Well, they, they notice when you do know it, and they also notice when you don't know it. So, <laughs> yeah, that's players, even worse, yeah. right? Yeah. No, they, they know. Players are smart. You know, you can't fool them. And at the same time, you know, they've got a job to do, and they want to be coached, so they can weed out the coaches that they don't think are very strong, because they've got a good sense on which people can keep them working. And they want to keep on working because when you're in the NFL, you'd like to stay employed for a while.
1: You know, uh, uh, the, the, the quarterbacks over the years that have been here that had the best relationship with the media uh, all along, it, it, this town doesn't have, it's not the New York media. This town wants to be, wants the Broncos to be good. They don't want to be adversary. This is not an adversarial media that you had to meet all the time. But every now and then you'd have a guy that would come in. It started with Jake Plummer when he got here. He had taken a lot of bad hits from the media in Arizona, and he came here with a little bit of an attitude. He'd have been better off. I really like Jake Plummer. Uh, he ended up with four turnovers in bad, in bad situations in that AFC championship game. Uh, that, is that when you started thinking about, well, I think I'm drafting a quarterback and Jake Cutler?
2: Yeah, that was a tough game when we had a chance. but You'd have won that game without
1: those four turnovers. Easy.
2: Well, anytime you have four turnovers in a game, the chances are you're not going to no. win. It. But, you know, to be honest with you, just like you, you uh, you're old school. You built your relationships through trust and work ethic. And um, that's one of the reasons I consider you a, a good friend that you always had the mindset. And we could tell when we were communicating that, hey, you know what? I'm going to work harder than everybody else, and, um, and that's what you're looking for. And that's what I'm looking for uh, with a quarterback. I, Jake Plummer is one of my best friends. That was a tough decision that we had to make at that time. But after that after that game, I was going to make a decision to try to get one of the top quarterbacks, at least what I thought was one of the top quarterbacks at that time. Because I thought at that time we needed to do that to give give – give ourselves a chance to win a Super Bowl. And that was when we uh, drafted Jay Cutler. And we moved up from, I think it was, what, 28th pick, and we got him at whatever it was, 10 or 11. And uh, at the same time, you never know if you make the right decision, but you got to make those decisions. And <laughs> you try to do it in the best interest of your program or organization.
1: I've been to some of the most bizarre press conferences uh, imaginable uh, in my 35 years. One of the w- weirdest ones was one that you were prepared for, but it wasn't your press conference. Uh, and you knew when Bubby Brewster, when you had announced that Bubby was not going to be the starter, he came down there and basically said, yeah, back if, back in the day, we'd, we'd have taken him back up behind the woodshed. And then Mike Shannon, or not no, uh, uh Jim Sakamano, who I've talked to about this, that you went, he went out to your your office to tell you what, what he said, and you were and you were like, yeah, I don't blame him. You know, <laughs> yeah, I'd be that mad if I was him.
2: That I told Bobby uh, later on. I said, hey, of all the decisions that I made, that was one of the worst decisions I made because he had, he deserved a right um, to start the next year, even though I thought eventually Brian was going to take over just by the way he prepared, just the way he handled himself. And I told Bobby, I said, Bobby. If you come in as a second team quarterback, I can I can guarantee you, as long as I'm in the National Football League, you're going to be on my team. So as long as I'm my head coach, you're going to keep on getting employed. But if if you're going to be the if you think you're going to be the guy, you, you're going to have to prepare a lot harder. But he was a guy that to me was a perfect backup to John. When John went off for those four games in our you know that fourteen two season, we won the Super Bowl. People forget, you know, what kind of year Bubby had.
1: Yes, you guys don't get to that one Super Bowl without him. He played a lot of games for John. I
2: mean, the average, the average wins in the four games that he started was 17 points. And the touchdown interception, interception ratio was over 3-1. to one. And, and he was just playing at such a high level. But that was Bubby. Bubby had such charisma as a personality. He was such a great guy. Players loved him. And he was perfect for a guy coming off the bench. I just didn't think at that time, which it wasn't right when I looked back and I told him this, I said, hey, I should give you the opportunity. And if you took advantage, great. If not, I should have made the change then. Wow. Those are the things you look back on you say, you know what, what it could have, should have. You do it, you make decisions, you go on and try to do it in the best interest of the team.
1: Some are good, some are bad. Hey, Mike, I really appreciate you coming on. It's been a Big day for me, not necessarily for anybody else, but it's uh, very thoughtful for you to take the time and come on the show with Doug and I uh, and from the start of my 36th year.
2: My pleasure. You've been a great friend, and congrats. Okay, thank you.
1: Mike Shanahan, <laughs> uh, you, what an hour, huh? That, I didn't think we were going to be able to pull it off. Radio.
0: <laughs> that was awesome. I got I to give it to you, Gil. That's, I, don't, I, I say this sincerely. I don't think anybody in Denver puts together that lineup for a show not right now the hardest one was woody <laughs> uh well, he was breaking a story
1: he was in the middle of breaking a story yeah, we'll, we'll see. he still we'll, came up. we'll on. see how big a story was is that, is that about the ownership is that, is that what it is
0: yeah, yeah. Uh, who's
1: going to be the owner well i guess we'll read what woody says what oh we haven't read it yet no oh okay. i don't think it's i don't know if it's Check been woody out on uh on, on uh, uh twitter because he just posted something i haven't looked at it i've been busy I All thought, right. I thought maybe the story was Gil. Andrew Detmer, one of the biggest years. days and one of the biggest hours in Andrew Detmer's life. <laughs> nice job today. Yeah, I cannot confirm nor deny that my pants are now brown. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. All right. Hey, let's go, let's go get some lunch. Hey, thanks, everybody. We'll see you tomorrow. See yeah.